Really ominous music, John Jerome, by the Dragon uh, Drummers. <laughs> for this episode 30 on Friday the 13th. Thought it was Ooh, appropriate me. to wake the dragon. <laughs> oh, for sure. It's been a very busy week. Um, I'm sure everybody is tired at this end of the week, and uh, I know I am. So anyway, I want to say welcome to everybody who's tuning in tonight on Friday the 13th to Ancestral Eyes, episode 30. We have a very special guest tonight. We have Robbie Thomas, who is a psychic profiler. He has worked with the uh, police, both here in Canada and in America. So I want to say good evening, Robbie. Thanks for coming on board tonight. Good evening, Teresa and Jean Jerome. And, and welcome to this beautiful evening of Friday the 13th. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Welcome, so, Robbie. Welcome, it's nice to have you on board. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. Welcome, Jean-Jerome. I want to say hello and good evening to my co-host. Yeah, everybody tuning in. Welcome. We're episode 30. It's amazing. I know, uh, Friday 13th, November, Friday the 13th, uh, episode 30 already of Ancestral Eyes. We're very happy to have uh, Robbie with us, and uh, I think it's going to be a very interesting show. There's many facets of his work and his uh, life trajectory that I find very interesting, and I think we're going to have some very uh, fascinating topics of discussion. So looking Absolutely. forward. Absolutely. Good questions and uh, a, a real delving into ancestral roots. So here we go. Absolutely. So, Jean-Jerome, read the bio, please, because yes. I think this is very important that everybody knows who Absolutely. our guest is tonight. So Robbie uh, Thomas is a psychic medium, criminal profiler, who works closely internationally with families and police fighting against crime while bringing solace to those who need it. Over many decades of assisting many murder missing person cases, Robbie has been able to give great details to these devastating crimes or happenings, which have led to finding lost people, arrests being made in murder cases, and bringing closure to families who desperately need it. Robbie works closely with families in conjunction with law enforcement, finding a resolution to some of the toughest cases being Highly respected in the paranormal spiritual fields of work, Robbie continues to be a great presence, working alongside many integral individuals in film, uh, television, radio, lending his ability to further along with his experience as a spiritual visionary. Robbie lives in Canada. So we have a Canadian couple. Uh, yes. And is often called upon by international community for assistance with his ability. Being a prolific best-selling author, writer in the metaphysical, spiritual, horror, paranormal genre. He published Absolutely. 10 books of his own, quite, quite an achievement, and contributed yeah. uh, to four other books. He's written television treatments, which are either in development or have been looked at and has accomplished one of them uh, to be in production. Other projects of Robbie's include uh, consideration with other production companies, United States and Canada. Movies have also been an art a part of Robbie's life as he is either created or starred in Dead Whisper, 2005 to 2006, The Sally House, 2007, and Paradox, Parasylum Directors Cut, 2009, Return to Al Capone, Speakeasy, in post-production uh, 2012, oh, 2012. Robbie has been seen in, 
on one-hour television specials and news media like uh, NBC, CBS, ABC, Daytime Live Rogers, Television, Star Choice, and a number of others. Uh, he's also been featured on CBS Radio uh, with Kevin Smith's show, Barbara Mackey's show, Tracy Austin's show, Coast to Coast AM. That's actually uh, Coast to Coast is one of those shows I used to listen to quite a bit. Uh, Fade to Black. Oh, yeah, sure. I was on. Go ahead. <laughs> and he has been featured in many magazines worldwide, such as Rock This Magazine, United States, Taps Paranormal Magazine, United States, Intrepid Magazine, United States, uh, Vision, Signs Magazines, Bell Spit, Bell Sprit Magazine, Suspense Magazine. Uh, also in the United States, uh, Paranormal Magazine England, Unexplained Paranormal Magazine United States, Fix Magazine Canada, Pennant Magazine United States. So suffice it to say, I may have found somebody either busier or at least as busy as I am. So I'm very, very pleased with that. <laughs> you have, I, I, I take my hat off. <laughs> So thank you, Robbie, for coming on board. Robbie Thomas is a Facebook friend of mine, and uh, we had been uh, Facebook friends for at least a year, I think. Um, and of course, I was interested in Robbie when I came across his um, your profile. I was doing some paranormal investigating uh, um, things, and your name came up, and I said, oh, and a criminal psychic profiler. That's when I became intrigued with you, Robbie, and I sent out a friend request, and sure enough, you accepted, and well, here we are. And uh, I enjoy your posts, and you've got some amazing things coming up, too, in the works with regards to some television programming, if I'm not mistaken. But before we get there, okay, because I want to talk about those, but we are going to take this from another angle, I know most interviews you have people coming on and um, asking you about your works, you know, your life work, which is very important and fascinating. And we will touch upon that. But I want to focus on something that's come recently to your awareness, and that is your own spiritual connection with your ancestors and right. finding a, a connection to your indigenous ancestors. So I want to explore that. And I think that that's important because that will explain so much about your gifts, okay? Your intuitive gifts that come to you naturally. So I'm gonna start off with my first question. And my first question is always, how, how old were you when you came to know of your gifts? How did this happen? Take us through a, a scenario of that. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to go back and forth. This is a very good question. Um, on many shows, I've, I've approached it in this manner. At age two, I used to say to my mother, am I adopted? Because I feel there's another part of me out there. And at age two, you have this snot-nosed kid running around and he thinks he knows everything in the world and you know he's just oblivious to everything but he just loves everything right so that's me so i know it must have irked her because let's go back before i was even thought of in the early 60s my mother was promised by a man that he would marry her got her pregnant and he fell through with his plans 
leaving my mother pregnant with the child. Being Roman Catholic and being Métis. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's right? your that's right. Tattoo you recently got the Catholic Church was given onus, if you will, by the government to step in with indigenous groups and take these people, like they took my mother, to a boarding school in Toronto mm -hmm. and held her there until she and i'm saying held her because it was it was literally a captive and thing with this catholic church thing i'm catholic so i can speak I am too, but what I, I am they took the baby right after she would gave birth and gave that baby up for adoption my sister my oh. sister right so i'm coming bring back to when i'm two years of age now i'm two years of age and you have this kid going around saying, I know either I'm adopted or I have someone out there who's part of me, mom. And she would huh. say, Ron, he's doing it again. And my dad would say, get in here, leave your mother alone. Come mm -hmm. fast forward to 1994. Mm -hmm. The night before my mother passed, I had this vision. <clears throat> and it was the four horsemen, if you will. And there's Ooh. the white horseman. And the white horseman says to me, don't worry about it. You'll be taken care about in your life, not to worry. This is what's going to happen throughout the course of the day. People heard of dream paralysis, where you're sitting in bed, you can't move. That was me right. at that moment. I'm seeing what's being played out before me. Morning comes, I'm bewildered, I'm taken back, I'm not myself. Every day I go over in the morning to my mother's house for coffee and toast before I go to work. I ended up over at my mother's house. Usually she gives me a hug and a kiss and good morning. This was a different, different type of day. I'm in her kitchen. Her back is to me. And I said, I'm compelled to tell you what happened last night. I need to explain this to you. And I said, they told me today's your day. And mom, I just don't get this. She turned and she said, you go home, and I'll call you this afternoon. So I had that push-pull factor. We said a few words, and I'm leaving the house. I'm going back home to my house to sit with my wife. And my best friend at that time came over. We're sitting in the kitchen. Maybe about 45 minutes to an hour goes by, and then there's a ring on the phone. And it's my father. He's screaming. He's saying, it's your mother. It's your mother. So we raced over. And there they were bringing her out on the gurney. And I remember her little purple socks, her little hand hanging over the side and the man doing CPR and, and, and on top of the gurney and they put her in the ambulance and they took her to the hospital. Now, after the funeral, about a couple weeks later, my family pulled me aside and it was my uncle and my aunt and they set me down in a park and they said, you know, you were right all these years. And your mother left you a gift. And I said, what do you mean, Uncle Doug? And he goes, we look, she was been looking for you. And right there, it clicked. And I said, are you kidding me? And he goes, she had a lawyer. I got a lawyer. And we found her. And her name's Mary. And then we met. And she's the spit and image of my mother. 
that was the baby that the Roman Catholic Church took away from my mother and in the early 60s. And I finally found my sister. So you have a kid at age two telling your mother, you know, there's more out there in life than just me. So it began for me at a very young age. Fox did a special. It was a reunification special. And I have the tape still. I'm sitting and explaining exactly what I'm explaining to everybody here who's tuning in in your, in your show. Mm-hmm. And it, it was amazing because I have that back from 1994 till now, um, explaining exactly what I've ex- been explaining all these years to everybody. How did it begin and where did it begin? Yes. Yes. It's, you know, you know, the thing is, I think all people, all of us who are gifted, we have a knowing from a very young age, our connection to spirit and the things that we know. And even when we discuss them with our family, either our family accepts it or they have a very hard time accepting it. And obviously there's been, you know, in your case, there's been things that were held back. Okay. And it makes sense. It really does. You know? Um, So, when you had, obviously, you had these gifts, um, you came upon your your um, your profession. And how did that happen? Can you take us through that relatively quickly without going into too much detail, unless you want to? <laughs> no, that's fine. That's fine. You know, um, and just staying on this part about your second part of the question for the first question you had was where it all began and how I became to know I was indigenous and who I am. My mother yeah. at age told me at age two and three, don't forget, I had, and she's referring to herself, I have a great grandmother ancestor who was a princess. Don't forget that. And then my great aunt Agnes would say, and don't forget, you come from Trois-Rivières, Quebec. So those two things stuck with me. And one word stuck with me, papoose. Yes, and, I remember seeing that on your Facebook page. Right. And papoose in Iroquois means baby. Endurment of the mother, the child of the mother, say baby. So my great aunt would call me papoose. So apparently I spoke Michif, which is Métis. It's a, it's a mixture of Cree, of Iroquois, and French, and then you have Michif. Okay. That's who, when I was younger. Now, I've lost that growing up, of course. Yeah. yeah. But knowing the word papoose and everything stuck with me, uh-huh. I decided to call, you know, I'm 54 now, and this stuck with me all these years. I knew I was Métis because of what my mother said. So I uh-huh. decided to Google, and I Googled the chief in Quebec, and I called her up direct line. And she says to me, how did you get my phone number? And I said, I just Googled you. And she says, that's impossible. That hasn't been up for like 10 years. And I said, no, no, I I can Google it right now. And I tried and I couldn't get it. And she tried and she couldn't get it. She says, that website has not been up for 10 years. And I said, well, I got your phone number. And it was amazing. Spirit pushed me to her. I'm speaking to the chief and she says, what's your mom's name? I gave my mother's name. She goes, I have her, her death records here. 
And I'm thinking to myself, and tears are streaming down my eyes. And I'm just bawling. And I'm thinking, how did you get her death records with you in Quebec? And I live in Ontario. And how did you know? And we're trying to yeah. just, it's amazing. So we started talking. And then she says, I'm going to get you a, a Quebec government genealogist who's going to run your, your lines back. And he called me back and he called me, he goes, this is very, very, very rare. He says, you have three bloodlines. And he says, that's very rare. He says, you go back to the chief of the Huron Nation, and that's your grandpa. And he was the one when Champlain came over for the New France, and he became interpreter and the guide, scout guide for France. And his name was um, Manitoubich. And your grandmother's name is Uta Chabanuk. And then they had a child named Marie Olivier Silvestri. She had an Indian name, but he entrusted his daughter to La Tardif, who worked with Champlain's company from France, and he adopted her, raised her white. That's how you became Métis. And that's where the racism comes in, in Quebec and everywhere where people say you're yeah. half breed and you're this and that. No, I am who I am. And that there's no doubt about that. So she married Martin Prevost. And in saying that, I look back at everything that he did. He was, he was huge in history. Not only that, you've seen a post on my page where I posted his photograph of my great-grandfather ancestor. And not only in Canada, but in the United States, two people said, oh, my God. I have his photograph or fo or picture on my wall in my house. And for she goes, years. for years. And I didn't even know who this guy was and because he's very famous. And if you Google his name, he's famous through Wikipedia and everything. And I said, that's my grandpa. That's my grandpa you got on the wall there. And she's yeah. like, oh, my gosh. And I said, yeah, I'm 13th generation grandson. And that's my grandpa you have on the wall. And he's famous throughout the world. Um where do I get the spirit is from my grandma's side. Uh -huh. And that's where it all transcends through to me and from Roque, which was St. Rock of um, in the Christianity. When he got baptized, they gave him the name Rock, right? Manitoboich, right? Oh, okay. And, okay. Right. So that his name was, his name was only Manitoboich. And then mm -hmm. they gave him Rock. So that's where that all stems from. And okay. Getting to this latter question that you asked, how it all began. I went through to be a police officer twice. My first time I became a police officer, I was very, very young. And I beat out all these other candidates. And I remember sitting in the chief of police office, waiting for him to come up. And my test scores were over there on his desk, along with the other two auxiliaries that were to my left. And we're just beaming. I had a mustache. I looked like I was 20. I was 17. I was built like a 20 year old. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I work out every day anyways, but you know, and, and sitting there and then I hear this big burly guy coming down the, down the, down the hallway. He comes in, he congratulates them, but he doesn't even congratulate me. And I'm thinking, okay, did I miss something here? And then he yeah. sits down, grabs the paperwork and he giggles and he goes, son, how old are you? 
I said, oh, and I'm thinking in my back of my mind, I'm thinking, I don't care. I'm proud as a peacock right now. I'm a cop. That's all I cared yeah. about. I'm yeah. hired on, you know, whatever. I'm 17, chief. And he just laughs. And then they started laughing because you have to be 20 to be an auxiliary. And I was 17. <laughs> so there goes my bubble, right? You know, and mm -hmm. I feel like this big. And uh, he goes, son, <laughs> give up. Keep doing every test you can do. And when you get older, and you know, back. come back. Yeah. Yeah, so then, we'll see later. exactly. So my second time around, I was in a little town outside of Toronto, Canada, Peel region. Uh -huh. I did all the testing. I did all the, all the major psychological testing, everything made it right through to the end, hired on. I'm a cop again. Yay. <laughs> right. But I'm checking behind me to make sure I'm doing this right. I get home and after the whole, I think it was a week full of testing. I get home finally and I'm sitting in the kitchen and I hear accident, accident. And I run out the back door and I hop up on my fence and I'm looking at a lady running around in the parking lot in her robe and she's frantic and she's screaming. And so I jump the fence and she points down the laneway. So I run to where she's going. Now I'm thinking there's been an accident. There's people hurt, blood, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. In. I'm, I'm hoofing it. And I'm running down there. And as the road curves to the road, there's nothing. And then there's a guy on the side by the other townhouses that were shaped like an L. And he goes, come here. So I go over to him and he pushes me inside and over the threshold into the kitchen. And there's a lady screaming, running around the table. And there's a guy over to my right holding a doorknob. And he goes, come here. So I go over to him now and he opens the door, grabs my shoulder, pushes me in shuts the door. So I'm still thinking blood. Somebody's hurt. They're in this room. I'm looking at the floor for blood. That's all I've been looking for is blood because accident. Yeah. And I look right. up and there's a guy there staring at me. So I go over to him and I check for a pulse. There's nothing. And his lips are blue. So then I take and I go to start to do CPR as a first responder would do. Right. And I hear, let me go. I'm not tuning in because I know I heard my whole life. I seen my right. whole life. Right. But this this was beside me now. I mean I'm looking at this man. So I stop for a moment and I and I go back at it again. And then I heard, let me go really loud. And I stop. And then I go out the door and there was three people in that kitchen. Now there's 50. And they're all looking right at me. You can hear a pin drop. And I swear all I did was shake my head like this and everybody's screaming. Went to the, the gentleman's funeral turned out and this is very uncanny it was my sister's best friend's father and it was oh. really weird really weird how this turned out to be like this Whoa. so i called up the precinct and i said i found a man dead um i don't feel like being a police officer no more you cannot quit like that when they spend so much money and time on you and they hire right. you they want to know why so right. i'm going through this it almost felt like dad talking to kid type scenario and I'm explaining myself to the superiority and he said we're going to do a favor you're going to go on film and you're going to be in a movie and you're going to explain everything you're telling me here which I'm explaining to you guys and it's yes. going to be a movie called EMTs firefighters and police officers who quit under duress I wasn't stressed so in comes the, uh, the captain yeah and a sergeant and a film crew I'm in my home and they're filming me and I'm explaining 
everything I just explained to you and their jaws yeah, hit the floor. They couldn't believe what I was telling them. But that's my yeah. first movie. I was 21. I'm 54 now. So that was my first movie I made. <laughs> and, and then, the, you know, to top it off and to top it off right after that, my very first case in 1990, 30 years ago, was my first case. <laughs> Right. So I'm not a cop, but I work with every law enforcement, you know, you think of. Interesting. So how did that come to be your first case? What was your first case and, and how did that happen? Like, did they call you or did you stumble upon this? What was that? Yeah. I'm going to self shamelessly plug. This is my best selling book, right? It's of got course. a new TV series. It's got every Hollywood director after me for this. I don't know how many people I've sat down with in networks and what have you. Um, I got two major production companies right now who do crime shows on TV after me uh -huh. for this. And I'm sitting uh -huh. now. My first case is in the bonus feature book, which is not on Amazon, only through my office. That's why I held it back. Ah, okay. Smart, smart fella. So, <laughs> but anyways, I'm in the parking lot, and I'm not going to give it all away because it's in the book. I'm in the parking lot speaking to my good friend, Greg. Uh -huh. Now, I'm facing you as I'm facing Greg. And over mm -hmm. his shoulder, this gentleman starts walking past Greg about 30, 40 yards behind him. And I see when I see black shrouds around people, that means they're bad. There's something bad they've done. There's something bad in their life. Mm -hmm. And this guy was this guy was a shroud, black. And I kept looking at him. And then Greg turned around and looked at, at him, turned to me, because he knew I wasn't paying attention to him. And he said, that's yeah, Jesse. Yeah. Would you like to come and, and meet Jesse? And I said, yeah. We ended up in Jesse's apartment after Jesse went into the um, the main foyer of the, the uh, mm -hmm. apartment up in his room. We ended up in his apartment. I remember going through the door, the kitchen's to the right. The living room's right there. As soon as you open the door, the living room's right there. Yeah. And you sit down. There's a, there's a, um, he had a couch and a, and a single seat over here. And his pregnant girlfriend was in the alcove area where the dining room was. And I'm sitting down, Greg's saying, no, oh, this is Rob. And they're shooting the crap. And, and, you know, and I look over at him and I go, what do you do for a living? And I'm, my line of questioning was like that, like a cop. And yeah. because I'm center focused on, why I'm seeing this black around you, I need right. to know. Right, right. And I said, um, you, you in trouble with the law or anything? And then the, the whole mood changed, right? I'll bet. I'm trying to think so I don't give the whole story away. Um, he says to me, am I allowed to use verbatim verbiage of what happened or do I have to watch what I say in the show? No, you can swear. I swear all the time. Okay, swear something for me. Good. <laughs> so he says to me, are you fucking hot? And I go, what? And he goes, stand up. And I go, what? He goes, stand the fuck up. So I stood up, and I'm looking at this guy. Now, you got to picture this, okay? He's five foot nothing, sawed off. He looked like Eddie Van Halen to a T. I'm not kidding. <laughs> okay. Nothing. And I'm standing up looking down at this, this kid, and he must weigh all of 95 pounds, right? Uh -huh. and, and he reaches and grabs my shirt and he pulls it up and he starts checking around my waistband and he goes, sit the fuck down. And he pushes me down. So I'm sitting down I'm, and I'm thinking, what's going on, right? And I'm looking at yeah. Greg. And Greg yeah. 
Greg is going like this, like shut up, whatever. And then um, Jesse. They think you're a cop. Right, right. AKA Jesse. That's that's his alias. Was sitting uh -huh. there. His girlfriend's pregnant. Remember, I told they told you that. Yeah. And then he goes, "You want to know what happened?" And she goes, "Don't say a word. Shut up." He stood up and he hauled off and punched this woman, and she's pregnant, right? This is his girlfriend. She's sitting there now. Everything's getting really bad, really, really bad. He says, "We went. Oh, we were ripping off a car stereo in the townhouses." across the road from the gas station where Mark Campbell came from Quebec with his family to go to St. Patrick's high school. His dad moved to my town. He was 14 years of age, probably earning back then a dollar 50 an hour in a cubicle. Right. Mm -hmm. So they, Thomas cook who murdered twice, Thomas cook goes, I'm going to go rip off the, the station. So they both went over there. And he goes, you know, we held the gun like this and we were popping him like this. And as he's saying that, he's smiling and he's going, and you should have seen him. He's hopping like a rabbit as we are popping him off in the cubicle for about $20. So Mark lost his life. I got the confession from the creep in his, in his freaking apartment. And when I went and told the cops, they wanted me to go back and wear a wire because they said, we're in court with him this week coming. We need to get that, what he said to you on tape, because we have nothing. And oh, I said, wow. I can't. He told me he would kill me. Part of the, part of the whole scenario yeah. of this case, you're reading there, he told me he'd kill me if I said anything. Yeah. So you got me 30 years ago in my first case. And folks, look, it, I'm going to tell you something. If you think you're psychic and you think you're a criminal profiler, mm -hmm. I got 30 years, 30 years and hundreds of cases where I've been sitting with suspects, with law enforcement. Don't think you're above the law and you can do what I did when I was my first case 30 years ago. That was total stupidity. <laughs> Don't do it. I tell everybody in every show, you're going to get killed. Don't do stupid things. If a family wants you to go and hire you to go and do something, don't. Because if you step on toes yeah. of law enforcement, there are legalities in every different state and even in Canada that they can arrest yeah. you and put you in jail for tampering or, or, or doing something yeah. wrong with the case. Yeah. So please take it from me. I know. I've been in it for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, but you stumbled upon these things, it sounded like. Am I correct that, in believing yeah, that? That case, that case I stumbled upon. Um, in hindsight, you know, I wish maybe I did wish I didn't because what happened was they got off on that technicality and uh, Thomas Cook murdered again. He saran wrapped his girlfriend. He held her mm -hmm. arm so she oh, couldn't God. breathe. And when she died in front of him, he, he gave himself up. He's in prison. Um, but AKA Jesse is free to life right now. Um, yeah, you know, that has stumbled upon. A lot of different cases I get called. Right, right. Family or law enforcement. It's a 50-50 mix, but mm -hmm. it turns out that if the family contact me, I always say oh. I only work through the detective only. Mm -hmm. So then they talk to the detective, then he calls me or she calls me, and we go from right. there. Um, I was just going to say, how how do yeah. they do that? Like, does do the police contact you directly or the family 
gets involved. So you've just answered right. my question with regards to that. Now, do yeah. you have law enforcement that come directly to you to ask? And is it because of what you had done in previous cases? Obviously, you are now building a reputation and your name is being, you know, bantered around um, as a successful profiler. Um, that took time, obviously, in your life. And I think I'm going to throw this back to your spiritual path. Judging from how you come across these things, and you are a spirit talker, okay? And this is the best way to encapsulate what you do and how spirit works through you and this is to your ancestral roots okay i believe so yeah um before any case i sit with the family and i pray mm -hmm. right uh lord jesus christ is my savior i pray to i pray to god all the time um mm -hmm. and i always ask is there's anybody over there who can assist and give me information in these cases, please do so. Knowing the hindsight that the indigenous side of me is there, it's without a doubt, without a doubt. Mm -hmm. um, I've worked several cases in, in this book, in this book, um, one of the cast members from my show, he alone has had me on three cases. Um, okay. Two of his cases are in here. Now, mm -hmm. um, Solved one, solved one case within 20 minutes, found the lady and brought her home alive. Um, the other one we solved, it was a dirty deed, corrupted, pushed under the rug type case. Um, the suspect, A, committed suicide, but before he did, he spoke with me and I told him that they're going to eat you, your soul. They're going to keep talking yeah. to you. And this is what they're telling me, Ron. Yeah. This is what they're telling me, Ron. And all he wanted me to do was come up his driveway so he could shoot me. And called me Mr. FBI man. So sure enough, he gives a deathbed confession. Kills himself. Okay. Not only that, to the doctors, but he gave a confession to a witness. So we knew, we knew we were talking. I sat down with Andy and I said, when I got called to go to, to Kentucky and Andy says, he pulled me on a show. He pulls me on his show. He's got a big racing show and it's, it's huge in the United States. And, and we're just supposed to talk about race cars, which I know this much about race cars or anything. Right. And I don't even know why Andy's pulling me on and I'm trying to figure it out, but we're going to talk about what we're talking, little crime cases and stuff. And then he hit me, he goes, I have a case and I need you to tell me something about it. You give me like a little tagline. Mm -hmm. And I started uh -huh. saying three people involved and went on and yada, yada, yada. And the family was listening. So he had them tuning into the show prior to me yeah. knowing anything. And then they said, we're flying him up here. So they, they, they flew me up to Kentucky and I'm, and I meet Andy. We spent four days. I think it was, we're going over everything, thing. And I, and we're in the boardroom and, and Andy goes, what do you need? And I said, I need, a, I need Bristol board markers. And I want to profile this individual before, during, and after this mm -hmm. murder. And we yeah. have to get the biggest link, which was Bobby. So Bobby agrees to meet us. 
So now Bobby agrees to meet us. I got to act quick. I got the Bristol board up and I'm profiling Bobby before the murder, during the murder and after the murder. Whole bunch of stuff about Bobby. We get in the SUVs, go up to the to his driver where he he wanted to meet us. We pull up and he's playing bad cop, I'm good cop. I got the microphone tape underneath Bobby's chin. And Andy's hitting him really hard. And Bobby's just like, you know, stubborn as hell. Like they all think they can pull one over on you. You know what I mean? And then he looks at me and calls me Mr. FBI man. So I know where right now where he got that lingo from was from Ronnie. Ronnie already placed a call to Bobby warning him about me coming up and everything. Right. So they think they pulled one over. So Andy goes, fuck this. He goes, just a minute. He opens up the back of the SUV, pulls out the Bristol board, slams the door, puts it on. And he goes, read that. What he said about you. And so he did. And this kid turned white. And his jaw literally fell. And then Andy goes, go ahead, ask him questions. I wasn't prepared to ask questions. But right. I started. I said, I know you were there. I know you weren't the one who did the, the deed of killing these right. two men. But you're part of this crime because you know what happened. Right. And, and afterwards. And the kid's shaking his head like this. And I need him to verbalize. So I kept right. Right. you know, going over certain things. And finally he goes, okay, okay, okay. I'm going to tell you everything. I just don't want to go to jail for the rest of my life. And he just blurted it all out on tape. We got him. Wow. He, he read what I got and that was how it worked. We went back we gave it to um, the detective. The detective now is not a good detective. Okay. You get good apples, bad apples in every profession. Before we mm -hmm. start on this, especially if, the folks in America who are tuning in and all my brothers and sisters on the blue line, we all know there's bad profession, teachers, doctors and everything. Yeah. He walks in there with Bobby, me and Andy are sitting in the waiting room and Andy's going, we got this guy. We even showed the family and let them listen to the tape and everybody's just, you know, we got it. We got it. He comes out, he has the tape like this and he goes, Hey guys, you know, um, I'm sorry, but uh, it's blank. He was in there over an hour and he blanked the tape out. So I said to Andy, don't worry about it. And he calls us in his office and he goes, son, he goes, I got a stack. And he goes, if you solve all these crimes, he goes, you're the man. That's what he's saying to me. And then and he's making fun of me and Andy in this, in the moment that we're trying to help this family. And I turned and I looked at him and I said, you haven't seen the last of me. I said, because you will see me again. And I just knew it. So we get home. Thank God there's a good cop on the inside because, and I don't care if they're listening now or not because the family has it. And if they release it, a lot of people are going to jail soon. Anyways, it shows the interrogation videos of that bad cop with the three suspects. And he says, if you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. And he's coaching them what to say on interrogation videos. And they got the videos and they have them. So, I mean, yeah, you're talking, um, how could you say backdoor, backwoods, freaking, um, I don't know how you would say it, bad boys or good boys, the old boys or whatever, the good old boys, that's it, yeah, shop, yeah, right? Yeah. So that's those people. Um, and, I, and I've been down some a lot of dirty places in Virginia, New Orleans. I've been a lot of places where I've interrogated cops and, you know, um, Coroners, coroners. 
All right. Uh-huh. So that's the case. I'm going to take you guys to a look. Okay. Yeah. You're going to get a kick out of this. We're going to go real quick. I know we're running out of time. Yeah. I've been yeah. in Virginia, Kentucky area, and Loretta Lynn gives me a call. Everybody knows who Loretta Lynn is, right? She's the country uh-huh. queen. Loretta Lynn. Yes. So I'm speaking with her one night on the phone, and I got the phone like this, and the wife's here, and we're talking for like an hour, maybe an hour and a half. And we're talking about Jack Benny, her son who died in the creek, Johnny Cash, everything, right? And she wanted me to come up to Hurricane Mills to redo the special and do a special on on TV with uh, E.T. And I said, yeah, I'd love to do something like that with you, uh, Loretta. So then I get a call later on. Can I come up to Butcher's Holler to do a double homicide? I said, absolutely. I'll come up to Butcher's Holler. In 2010, the headline says in the newspaper, psychic says case improperly investigated. It was a big, huge write-up. 2011, I show up on their front doorstep with America's Most Wanted Film Crew, um, the production company in Toronto of Lamport and Shepard, and myself, and Chief, International Police Chief Kevin Smith. Well, then the shit hit the fan because they're thinking, holy fuck, look at this guy. He's got everybody from everybody. He knows everybody. Damn straight. And I'm coming to get you. That's just the way it is. And that's not ego. That's just fucking knowing. So I'm sitting there, and I'll take you back now to 2010. I, I, I called a, a meeting. I had the fire chief. I had the incoming sheriff. I had the water cop. I had the coroner and the family. And someone taking minutes. I still have the minutes. It's going to come in my second book. Folks, this is my first book. You got to get this first book. <laughs> my second book is going to be blowing everybody away. Um, so I say to the coroner, and, I'm, and I get to ask these questions. I said, how did you become coroner? And he says, son. He goes, I was a grocery clerk, and the chief, or sorry, the, the sheriff asked me if I could be coroner. I said, just a minute, just a minute. You have to have medical background to be a coroner. He goes, no, I don't. He says, he gave me a VHS tape. I went home and watched it for seven days. And I'm not kidding you. So you guys are listening to a real fucking movie here, okay? This is how they are back in the States and in certain areas. And I'm not knocking the States, but when I tell this story in on American stations, they all go, this is crazy. No, it's true. It happens. So this guy says, and I got the minute to prove it. So, I mean, the guy says to me, yeah. And I said, well, how did all this come? He goes, he asked me if I can see, if I can tell if a man has died. He goes, I can tell if a man has died from a heart attack just by looking at him. And he goes, you're coroner. And I said, what? And I said, that's how you lost her larynx and, and all the parts to the murder that we need to know how this all happened. He goes, it ain't my fault, son. He goes, I just signed off on it. He goes, I watched the VHS tape. He goes, look, it, I'm a coroner. And that's how he was talking to me. And that's how this oh happened God. in the backwoods of that area. And I know you guys are sitting there going, this isn't true, but it's very true. Believe me. It's very true. So this is the type of thing I get involved in and, and, and go through and do. Yeah. Um, so we do this case. We had it solved right down to the T. Um, family. The problem of the thing is the mountain, the one mountainside of this one part in this in this area. Walmart walked in. Kentucky Fried Chicken walked in. Uh, all your big conglomerates and paid off the families mm-hmm. who own land. So they got all money. These seven kids who committed this double homicide belong to those people who got all the money, who belong to all the coroner the, and sheriff. The You know, they're all tied like this, right? So they want to keep hush hush. Well, um, things didn't go the way the mother of the poor daughter who got murdered. She wanted it on Annie right away. 
Annie was the go-to station and it was going to happen. And, but things got happen and it didn't, it didn't happen. So she hired a mall cop and some guy who said he was with some other station. And when I write the next book, folks, you're going to, there's a chapter called the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's my title. I already got it. And this is part of the story that's going in there for all these fake people out there. I'm going to expose a lot of people, but anyways, so they, they weren't cops at all. And then last year, I think it was last year or something. She writes me, she goes, please, please. Can you come and solve the case now? Well, now you have to understand Kevin Smith, international police chief, Kevin Smith, my partner, who was the highest ranking officer in the world, who, who said, when I solved the uh, baseline killers, murder in in arizona he didn't believe in psychics and he pulled me on a show and i was giving information back and forth and we solved that case and you can re- see the clip on my youtube or on my on my website robbythomas.net that clip of him on tv explaining everything how i did it he said yeah he'll work with me well poor kevin ended up going to bed one night never waking up and i lost a great friend and you know um it was a lot of stress because of this whole case and she says, yeah, you ain't going to believe it, but the one girl who helped in this murder has confessed on film, and I want to give it to you, and, and you solved the case. It don't work like that. I'm sorry. Um, you don't use spirit like that, and you don't use a guy who's really, you know, I'm not your fluffy, duffy kind of guy. I'm, I'm a tattooed badass kind of guy. I go after murderers. I sit with them, and I don't play mm-hmm. games. And that's just the way it is. And that's the truth. Yeah. So yeah. I told her, I said, you know, like we can't do that because Kevin's died now. And all the records have gone with him where you started all this crap. And the production company doesn't want nothing to do with them. And of course, America's Most Wanted yeah. just said, fuck that. You know what I mean? So that's the moral of that. And that's going to be in the book. I mean, I'm going to spill a lot of stuff where people go, yeah, holy crap, this is real. Yeah. It is more than real. I'm not your fluffy psychic. I'm your guy who actually goes out and, and gets these people. This is crazy. You know, it almost sounds like everything that's done in America evolves around having something filmed and turning it into a movie or something. And and it's just really exploitive from the yeah. sounds of it. It is. I think and that's crazy. Where, but, you, um, where you guys are. Right. We know Victoria Stafford. Right. Let's talk about a Canadian case that had, you know, been fairly uh, well known in the media. Yeah. In fact, you know, um, let me pull the the angels picture up here if I can. You know, um, America's Most Wanted featured her case. And there's a few cases in this book that John Walsh did that I actually stepped in and solved. you know, it's it's amazing. I'm just trying mm-hmm. to find find Victoria. But uh, you know, looking looking at back at this when I went down there and did that. Were you asked by the parents to come and help with that case, or how did you come upon uh, Victoria Stafford's case? How did that yeah, take This place? is the only case I volunteered myself. And it, it was yeah. because because if you go on my website and you click on the radio show 99.9, the Fox FM, mm-hmm. you'll hear the program director say, and you showed me all that stuff way before they investigated this case. And it came true. And I did. I wanted somebody to see that all my diagrams 
all my mm-hmm. I had that this little girl came to me, showed me she went into a tree line by a big pile of rubble and rocks where the Mennonites were going and the way, the way, um, the, I remember the, that. Place. Yeah. And the horse and buggy drawn in, in Guelph. And I showed him and, and then he did the radio show and then I went and then it happened. And I went down and I talked to the family and I said, you ain't gonna believe this, but this is where your baby is. And this mm-hmm. is what was shown to me. They pulled me right away in to see um, Detective Brown. I'm mm-hmm. sitting in office with Detective Brown and Rodney, the father's doing his lie detector test right across the room. And I'm sitting with the aunt and the grandma and I'm explaining to Detective Brown you know, they had a video of a woman leading Victoria away from the school in a white clothes. Yeah. Yeah. And I was there with the media and they said, we have to get something to, to highlight that woman. And I said, put a bubble around her. I've been in film. I said, put a bubble around her and highlight. And the, and the media guy goes, yeah, it's a great idea. So that's where that idea came from, where they showed the bubble and they showed her walking. Mm-hmm. Right. So they did that, gave it. And that's what you've seen on TV. Now, right. I'm explaining to them, it's just not a woman you're looking for. It's a man. It's a man and a woman. He's much older than she is. And she wants to profess her love for him by getting this girl. And people couldn't put it together like that. And then that's what it turned out to be. That's exactly what happened. She wasn't wanted she also, wasn't the woman also a friend of the mother? Victoria's mother? Yeah, they knew. They knew they were acquaintance because of puppies being involved and, and knowing about puppies and, and wanting to have a dog, whatever. So here's the big gist. They said to me, we want to get you inside. So, okay. Mm-hmm. I said, you're going to go by the name of John. Your name's John. So, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you go in, you get a read on her and look around the whole place and you come and tell mm-hmm. us what you think. I said, Okay. I was in there 45 minutes. They planted me in the mother's house. And to this day, she probably doesn't know who the hell was in there, but it was me. And so I walked in, but before I walked in the back, you know, remember they were looking for her backpack. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes her backpack. Little girl. It was thrown at the back of the property or something. Well, not her property, but there was, there was a backpack they were looking for in the garbages around where they found her body and, and things like that right i go and i'm walking up the steps and i stop and i look down like this and i look inside and there's a backpack underneath her deck so we go in and i whisper to to the to the aunt rebecca and rebecca goes there's a backpack and then right away she goes oh that was to hide the beer we didn't want the cops to see us bringing beer in here we bought two of the same backpacks Right. This is inside information nobody's ever heard of on the news mm-hmm. or anything. Right? But you walk into her house, and I'm not kidding you, wall to wall alcohol bottles all over the fucking place, on her fridge, mm-hmm. counter, everywhere. And I'm looking, this and I'm saying, mother. This is the mother. You know what? And, and it's the truth. It's the truth. And sitting on the steps was this guy, apparently her boyfriend, and he's like this, and his head's down, and he's not even looking at me at all. And I look down the hallway, and as, she, as she's sitting there, she never mentioned Victoria's name once. Not once. Yeah. All they said yeah. was, all she said was, they took my name off the charity account, so I can't access the money. And I think 
I remember Rebecca saying, oh, they did that because they want to isolate the money, make sure that it goes to the fund for Victoria, right? She was using the money to buy booze and shit. That's what she was doing, right? So what was going on down the hall, two kids come out of her living room holding beer bottles. And they are the age of maybe 15, 14 at the most, maybe 13. And I'm thinking, holy crap, this is not a good scene. She's not talking about Victoria. I'm getting a bad vibe from him. And then all she yeah. cares about is the money. And then all of a sudden she goes, they just came in here and took my computer. They took my white coat. Because remember the girl was walking with a white coat. It was the exact, right. same, yeah. exact same type white coat that Victoria had on. Or not Victoria, yeah. the woman had on. And I'm sitting there, I'm going, wow, that's all she cares about is items and things. And she's yeah. not crying once. So we get to to embrace and it was the most chilling evil thing I've ever felt in my life. But as we're leaving, you know, they're hugging and I didn't even want to, but I did give her a hug. And it was like a very cold callous little, there you are. That's it kind of thing. And as we leave, as we leave, her father comes in, I believe, and another gentleman and we walk down the steps. And again, we look under the deck. You can see the, backpack that was under there why would you hide that i don't know and the only time she ever left that place was she went in for the up the fence to go to a limousine and went for an interview and that was the only time she ever left that house rodney pounded the pavement looking for his daughter knocked on yes, door the father yeah Every i remember that he was and very involved in, in the daughter. right so as time goes on you see in the news the mother gets pulled over and arrested for oxycontin in the car so, you know, there's, there's, there's more to it than this. There's a lot more to the story. I don't want to give away because it's probably still investigating of what they found. And I found out and the balloon release, we went to give the balloon release of Victoria being free. I remember, um, you know, sitting with Rodney and, and uh, Rebecca and the family and we're releasing a purple, beautiful balloons in the sky there's hundreds of people and then i come home and as i'm home um sitting in my chair and i seen her she come out of nowhere and she sat on my lap and i'm hugging her and then the butterflies are everywhere and she hands me this yellow flower and my mom my wife and my kids are looking at me and they know they know how i work they're not thinking oh dad's stupid they're thinking something's going on yeah. And I said, I said, it's Victoria. She's here. She mm -hmm. thanked me. She thanked me for what we did when we went through. And she's free because the, they got arrested and they were convicted. And that was the balloon release. It was, yeah. it was something else. And I'll never forget that little girl from the family when we went over to um, uh, Rebecca's uh, grandmother's house. The little girl comes up to me and she goes, Here's um, three M&Ms, one for you, one for Victoria, and one for me. And when she comes home, we'll have them. And I put in my hand, and I put them in my pocket, and they stayed in my pocket all that time. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. God, I don't envy you being a psychic profile. It's very hard. Emotionally, I think it would be very draining and um, people don't know what goes on behind the scenes 
and what you've just described is sometimes horrific and puts your own life in danger, you know? Yeah. So you're right. Not everyone can do this, you know? And, uh, you know, kudos to you for being able to do something like that, that a lot of people can't. Um, I want to circle back to your spiritual practice that you do on a daily basis. You said you're Catholic. Do you do prayers every day? Do you meditate? Um, do you have a cosmology that you believe in besides Catholicism now that you have your indigenous uh, background revealed to you? Is there a ceremonial uh, aspect or practice to your spiritual faith? Has it expanded greater than the uh, Catholic faith that you have been uh, born into? No, it's still God. I mean, there's God creator of everything. And yes. the reason I say this is there's been so much exposed to me where I've brought people home alive from the sex slave trade. Um, people who went missing and brought them home alive, found bodies, murder weapons, being told by spirit exactly where they are, naming murderers, giving names of murderers so they go and arrest them mm -hmm. and put them in jail. You can't pull that stuff out of a hat. That's just not, you know, popcorn. No. That's no. stuff coming from God. I pray to God all the time. There's a case in here. I was filming in Virginia a TV series called Coexistence. And it was with um, my good buddy, uh, Keith H. from the Sci-Fi Channel. The wrap-up was happening, and I got a text message. They're going to kill him. Um, they're going to plug him. Um, do you know anybody who can do reading that you do? And I said, you know, I don't know anybody who can do anything around where we live that can do that. I'm sorry. I can't recommend anybody because I really don't know. And I honestly don't know anybody because I've never seen anybody solve murder cases. And, and I'm not... Mm -hmm foreboding here i'm just saying i just never have and that's being the truth i said tell the doctors to wait i'll be back i'm this is friday i'll be back by tuesday mm -hmm. and they were going to plug him that night and she said uh she texted me she goes they're going to wait I, I couldn't believe they're going to wait the mm -hmm. the icu uh specialists are going to wait right so we hustled back after filming and i drove 12 hours back from virginia my wife and i mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I went into the ICU with Julie. She's from Sarnia. The case is in the book too. And I remember walking up and hugging Julie and she punched in the secret code to get into the ICU. We walked in there and I never seen a man or a human being so plugged into a machine like, or machines like this, every orifice, everything. It was, it was amazing. His eyes were open and he was brain dead. The doctors declared him brain dead and they were going to give her like, this little time with me, and they were going to plug, plug. I took my hat off, and I asked Jesus, and I said, Jesus, you have to tell me, or somebody has to come across, mm -hmm. and know what's going on here. And I started you didn't, praying. You didn't, you didn't feel he was dead. Right, and I started praying. And no more than two minutes go by, and not, not even two minutes. I mean, it's like 30 seconds. And I heard, it's the wrong medicine. My brain is swollen. And it's going to take time for me to heal. And, and I heard it and I heard it and I heard it. So I mm -hmm. stopped my hat back on and Julie goes, oh, it's not good. And I hugged her again. I said, no, no, it's good. It's good. And I explained to her exactly what I was told. Mm -hmm. And I left. I said, now this is a moment for you and your family. And that's when mm -hmm. his mom came in. His mom came in and she's like five foot nothing, little frail, elderly, beautiful lady. 
and I'm a big guy. And she hugged me and she felt like 20 guys hugging me. I couldn't get this woman to let go. She was so strong. And then she like this to me. She like this. She goes, thank you for doing what you just did. And I don't know. How did she know? Right? I don't know. Mm -hmm. what she even mm -hmm. I leave. I get home. Julie, uh, uh, maybe about not even a half hour later, I get all the, my phones lighting up. Right? And she says, shit's mm -hmm. hitting the fan. You know, the doctor said, let me see the charts. And they said, holy fuck, it's the wrong medicine. Like I said, wrong medicine. Pull the IVs. His brain's mm -hmm. swollen, right? I said his brain was swollen. And they said it's going to take time for, he, for him to heal. And they said he was going to be a vegetable in palliative care for the rest of his life. Well, Gene Jerome, he's sitting like you, healthy as hell. And he steak, McDonald's, goes for walks. And he's alive. And they were going to kill him, and he's alive. And every and my book sold at the hospital like you wouldn't believe. I had specialists going, I want to read that. I want to read that story in there. I can't believe you did that. And I go, yeah, well, you got special doctors here that don't do shit. And I can't believe it. You know, and, and she's been on many different shows with me about this, like from NBC different shows and talking about mm -hmm. it, whatever. And mm -hmm. yeah, it's right there. And she wrote a letter. So every case that's in this book, too, I want everybody to know. You get all the behind the scenes stuff, all you get, all the emails, all the text messages, mm -hmm. all kind of stuff that prove that every case is done. Not only that, you get all law enforcement records that are in here that say, yeah, he did. Yeah, he solved this. Yeah, he solved this. And every family. And okay with you um, giving that information out, obviously. 100%. Because if it wasn't for me, which is mm -hmm. not, it's spirit and God, they would have never have gotten it done. Mm -hmm. That's plain to say. Yeah. So absolutely. I don't so, for it. It's all God and Spirit that done this. So that's how it works. Now I'm gonna let Jean Jerome or <laughs> Jean Jerome. Jean Jerome. Sorry, Jean. Take over. That's okay. <laughs> I tease him that way. I always call him Jean Jerome too because when I uh, when I go to his place and I use my GPS, it goes arriving at Jean Jerome's house. Right, <laughs> and he loves he loves that. I love like it. I a hole in the head. <laughs> well, Robbie, I mean, it's been a, a remarkable, uh, you know, rec recount of of you know the different investigations and everything else. Um, it also, I mean, you have a unique, very pragmatic, very real life experience in terms of the the communication that can exist between the spirit world and this world, especially through someone like yourself, a medium. Now, you've mentioned, um, you know, taking little bits and pieces of your, your the describing the various cases and so forth. It, you've described uh, the ability to, to see, the ability to hear. What other aspects of uh, mediumship or do you, have you have manifest in different cases mm -hmm. and all that? There was a case uh, I said, um, it's a very touchy case where I said, a female informant's going to come forward and she's going to explain to you exactly what I'm telling you in 2005, mm -hmm. 2009, this woman did come forward. Everything I said, I, I tasted, I felt, I was there. 
and I seen the baseball bats and I seen everything, how they, what they done, the feeling of the rape, mm-hmm. everything. It was there. Um, and sitting with the OPP in her house, mm-hmm. the witness, mm-hmm. and going through all the motions of recording the murder, my tape and his tape. And then he takes me out for lunch and goes, you know, I spoke to my wife last night. She, and, you know, well, we can't get over it, but I'm, we don't know how to fuck you do this shit. And I said, you know, dude, you know, it just happens. It's just, it's just the way it happens. It comes and it's just, I can't explain it because it's just it full. Just downloads. It's just fucking there. And when, you, when you're dealing with sick individuals who want to play you a fool, you know, you got to get to the nitty gritty. I've had guns pointed at Gene Jerome, Gene Jerome, John Jerome. <laughs> it's okay. You know what? I love calling him that. Don't worry about it. I did that, you know. Anyways, anyways, I've had guns pointed at me. I've had death threats. I've had, we were filming, again, going back to one of the, to the things with America's Most Wanted. And there's a scream and we're eating breakfast. And the lady goes, He's got a fucking gun, right? And that was the coroner. He was running in to blow us away, right? So, you know, there's old Kevin, cowboy Kevin. I got this. He pulls out his fucking gun. I mean, he's not kidding you. Things are, you know, there's me with a little fork, right? Like, I don't I don't got guns. <laughs> but, yeah, so, I mean, the, you know, I look at stuff like this, the aspect of how real it is and yeah. the feeling yeah. and, and the taste and the seeing, the hearing, everything. It's real. So when you try to describe to somebody how it really is, I say, mm-hmm. you know what? The best way I can describe it, read this, and you'll see how emotional. No, I'm not kidding you. It's not a plug. No, I mean, no, I, get no, right no, no. I, I get right down to It's the- hard to describe when you have the gift. I myself am an intuitive, and I know it's hard to describe when you see something or feel something and try to um, – get that across like sometimes on jerome will come to me and um or i come to him and say look there's something coming down the pipes okay yep. and it's hard for me to describe sometimes what it is i see and how i feel about it but he's very open to that and obviously you know things come down the pipes exactly the way yeah. it's done it's hard to describe because it's it's just downloaded Sometimes I see it. Sometimes I feel it, you know, and if I, if it's in my dream, then all my senses are activated. Right. Right. And, and in terms of, of, of your spiritual gift, I mean, we, we've, as of, this is episode 30 um, and we've had the privilege of uh, interviewing uh, shamans, Babalao, uh, Bokonos, different priests, uh, which, Many of them are, are are spirit walkers or spirit talkers. They have their elegance. They say the ability to to act as a liaison between the spirit world and this world. Mm-hmm. In many of those cases, and also in our own pride, we we recognize um, a, a, an ancestral spiritual guide, a, a, a spirit which is accompanies your soul, your spirit to Earth in order to accomplish a mission, and uh, that has an ancestral memory and awareness. And acts as a, your liaison, your guide in this world. In in your practice of these so these all these years and all that, have you 
experience? Have you, has that spirit ever manifest to you? Have you ever had that sort of mentorship from that spirit uh, consciously or unconsciously over this period of time? As a spiritual guide, right? Yeah. Do you work with one spiritual guide or do you go direct to the source, to the divine? When I was three years of age, they put me in Sick Children's Hospital in Toronto. I had a red dot on my forehead. They did not know what it was. And we all heard of the boy in the bubble. Well, I was the boy in the bubble. They put me in this room and it was a bubble. And they didn't know what that was. And I remember talking and telling my mother about Carmichael when I was younger. Two, one years old, right? Carmichael this, Carmichael that, spiritual guide, whatever. Come forward, coming out of the hospital. And I can still vividly remember me sitting up in the car. And the, do you remember the bench seats in the old cars? They had the bench seats. Weren't yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would sit up and go, oh, mom, don't worry about it. You know, Carmichael died in the hospital there. And he's like growing up with me now. So what I meant was, and I wrote about that in my book, From Heaven, and another book called um, To You, um, A Link to Heaven. I got all my tattoos for my books. I, linked, I have to refer to them, Link to Heaven. Got too many books. But anyways, he grew with me as I grew up, right? So Carmichael grows with me. We come here with spiritual guides and spirituality, individuals, angels, and everything as we're born into this life. And they are part of our realm. Now, before, I know you're going to listen. Okay. Before there was Facebook, Twitter, all these other stupid social medias, MySpace and all that. I had Robbie Thomas forums in 1990. So, you know, there was no internet around then back then. Right. Mm -hmm. I still have people who follow me today on my social media from then. And I used to teach about the guides, the angels, listen to That's your children, right. write it down. It's Don't be tours. Right. I used to teach about that in the early nineties. And one lady, again, in this book, she says to me, and I think it was 2002 ish. She says, I've been following you since 1995 and my daughter's in the sex slave trade. And the detective told me to reach out to you and he's lost for what to do, but I'm not going to tell you the story because I want people to read the book and read the, how good these things are happening and how we, you know, blah, 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 blah. I'm going to tell you the story. But um, yeah, so I used to teach for years and years before there was all these other, you know, uh, Yahoo and all that. There was Robbie Thomas forums and people from around the world. I think at one time I had like 10,000 followers from all around the world at Robbie Thomas forums. Mm. That's right. You used to do a teaching. I remember um, you saying something about that in your Facebook page. And well, I saw you through um, an ad for your tours because you do live tours. Tell us a little bit about uh, the shows that you have done. You're, you, well, because of COVID, we ha you had to cancel the Robbie tour. Um, what do you call your shows? What are they? Oh, my goodness. I've done this Power of Spirit tour in 2007. I've done the Dead Walk tour. I've done <sighs> Profile. And what are they? Are these places the where you go? Yeah. I, I mean, we book them all around the United States and Canada. I did the Psychic Justice tour in 2010, mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. it was. 
there's so these been, are shows and tours, right? These are tours. And I've never, you know, you've never seen a psychic get on stage with law enforcement and bring the family up there and solve murder or missing persons cases. I'm the only one who's ever done it. State after state, city after uh -huh. city. And we did it. We started in Sarnia, my hometown. Found the guy alive in British Columbia when a so-called psychic said for years to the family, he was dead in Mexico and buried behind a jail. And you'll never find him. So don't bother looking for him. So this family came to me right at the, the gist of the show going to happen. And I said, you know what? You come on stage with me and we'll find out what's going on. And the OPP were there. City police were there. And I just blurted out everything. And they checked back. And before she went on, she did her homework. Come on stage. She goes, the RCMP in British Columbia said, it's a matter of privacy. And then you hear. And that's what they told me, too. And the spotlight went from me on stage and her to the packed theater and she's way up about eight rows. So I hopped down with the microphone and I said, ma'am, can you please repeat what you just said? She said, that's what they told me too. It's a privacy issue. So I got a matter of privacy. It's a privacy issue. And I said, there you go. I said, he's alive. And sure enough, he was alive out in British Columbia. And they were told for years he was dead for 14 years. Oh, he was dead. So my hometown started out, bang, we solved the case. Went to Toronto, did that case. We went right mm. across to Ohio, Indiana, mm. Kentucky, New Orleans. I went through and did a whole bunch of cases. Um, Iowa, and each state I did like two to three cases on stage mm -hmm. in front of the folks. Um, wow. So these are live, live cases that right. you... And I'll tell you, no one's ever done it before. And I, I, I say I've that. I've never heard of that before. I want somebody to come out and go and do that for families. Not just say, I work with the families and I solve cases. No, get out there and do it. Show your craft. Do it. Solve these Absolutely. cases. Get them done. Solve them. Show them that you can do it. Not just to show you can do it, but solve them. Help the families. And put it so yeah. that people, oh, my gosh, they are solving them. So that's what yeah. I did. Um Good yeah, my you. Last, yeah, you know, whatever. <laughs> I don't get, take credit for it. I don't. No, no, but still, you know, yeah. this this means a lot for those families, right? Oh, it, um, it, it truly did. And then the last one that got canceled, and I'll leave you with this last tour, um, because we know we're running out of time. Mm -hmm. The last tour got canceled, unfortunately, because I was going to go to each city and bring in live cases, and mm -hmm. also mm -hmm. each people and see how effective they are with their ability. I was going to bring in cases and hand out cases to everybody and watch them give their demographic on a case and tell mm -hmm. them you're right, you're wrong, you're close, you're not, and try to teach and try to show yeah. them, you know, yeah. hold on your gift the proper way, you know, turn your feelings around and make sure you're, you're listening, not, you know, trying to, to, to just guess at it. You know what I mean? So that's what mm -hmm. I wanted to do. But unfortunately we had this pandemic and, it got canceled. I know. Yeah. I know, unfortunately. But they sound fascinating. I would love to know. Um, well, people can actually go on Facebook to your Facebook page and find out in future when your next um, tour is in cases and where you actually get a chance to teach people what it's like to be a profiler, if I'm not mistaken, right? 
that's, that's what I find fascinating. So before we, we sign off here, I wanted to just talk a little bit about uh, some upcoming shows that you have. Um, they're paranormal in nature. There's one that you had recently completed. I think it was around um, Halloween, wasn't it? There was one in particular or a couple of them. Can you give us a brief description on those? Yeah. Um, Award-winning director linda palmer um we're good friends we've spoken for years i've done her radio show out of la many times and she's done a lot of movies and, and shows so she said would you like to be part of this new television series coming out and i thought yeah why not you know i'll do the paranormal side because i mean i've been in the belly of a volcano where pirates were and i've been in Portugal and I've been all over the States and Canada and I'll give you stories of what it's like to be in places that nobody's ever been. So mm -hmm. yeah, we started talking about that and, uh, and sure enough, it encapsulated and here we are. Um, I'm the producer of my segments. So I got a producer credit. I'm not in the mm -hmm. host and we shot Halloween obsessed. And not only that, we have, um, Ann Wallace. Um, everybody knows her from Cujo. Uh, Hills Have Eyes, um, Halloween. Um, her credentials just go beyond the scope, and she's in the series. So it's going to be a fantastic series, top notch. And so how is she going to be involved in the series? Is she going to help you to solve uh, paranormal investigations with you? Or no, she's actually going to be speaking about the horror part of it for Halloween, and I'm going to be speaking about all the actual – paranormal with right. all film footage people have never seen before so i mean you got the yeah. sally movie in 2007 that's been on the um i think discovery channel yeah four times and it's got like four million mm -hmm. views roughly on youtube mm -hmm. i got mm -hmm. seen stuff there for you i got dead whisper i got um the, the the belly of the volcano we got places like oh my gosh the studebaker mm -hmm. mansion i've never been in but i'm the only person that's ever been in there um, mm -hmm. it's amazing. So you're going to see stuff that's based around Halloween, spooky, creepy yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. When's it coming out? And 2021, um, before Halloween mm -hmm. next year, they're putting it all together. Yeah. They're going to have a lot of great actors. Major actors are going to be in this. It's going to be great. And then my other series, cross your fingers, please, because it's mm -hmm. a true crime series. I got my cast members are all high profound law enforcement officers from all over the United States. And I have experts that I'll be calling in that I've worked with on many cases over the 30 years. Um, mm -hmm. The production companies are major crime show companies that already have shows on TV. Um, mm -hmm. I can't tell you who they are. Um, networks are already, you know, jumping at the, the bit to, to get this. Mm -hmm. So here we are. Um, but what's holding us back, folks, is the pandemic. Um, with, if that's gone, mm -hmm. I'm over there solving cases with all these beautiful people and mm -hmm. families. So that'll be my two series. And I got asked nice. to uh, another thing nice. that jumped in the iron in the fire was um, movies on my my paranormal horror series, Parasylum. So look for that. That might be happening in the future, too. Awesome. So when it's so anybody can go on your profile to your 
Facebook page like I did and become a Facebook fan and you will list if there's any upcoming shows or anything like that because I've been following you so I know that some of these series are uh, in the works and can't wait to see them I think it's fascinating I really do and uh, it's been a real pleasure now we do have some um, people who are trying to ask some que um, some questions do you yeah. have some time Robbie for yeah, we'll do another 10 minutes we'll do another 10 minutes yeah, yeah. Anita okay. Allen says uh, whoops <laughs> she left it for the end when you are doing a profile before, during, and after, what aspects or criteria are you using? What are you describing in them? Good, good. I describe his personality. I describe his persona. Mm -hmm. During, I describe his actions. I describe his whereabouts. I describe what motive afterwards. I describe what he's done after the, the murder, or she is done after the murder. I describe things of in nature of what they did in tale of hiding weapons. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You read in the paper where that one, what I'm describing of this murder, we're just, just talking about the, the aspects of the three things where I profiled the mm -hmm. lady. After he left, we found the knife exactly where he said it was with the blood on it. So you got to mm. be a profiler to go on stage. And I call it on stage because the world is a stage. When you're working with law enforcement, you know, mm. um, another good example, they fly me down to, to Washington and we're down there. There's a high, two high profile cases. And all these, they hand me is a map of Maryland and Virginia and go find her. You got to be able to find those areas. You got to be able to find mm. the weapons. You got to be able to find who's done it. You know, it's not, I see a white light. I see a tree. No, it's got to be, here's the name. This is the location. Yeah. Before I left, yeah. I gave the street. I gave what the road looked like. I gave mm -hmm. aspects what was on that road. And mm -hmm. I remember. It's being very, in the detailed. very detailed. Very detailed. Very, very detailed. It's not in general. No. Mm -hmm. I remember my wife sitting in the back seat of the squad car. I take my wife on every case I go. She's my pillar. So she's sitting in the oh, back. Of the lady. <laughs> yeah, she, she knows a lot more than I do. You should interview her. <laughs> but anyways. Um, Our next you know, show. Next, <laughs> It'll yeah. be Lisa, your yeah, wife. Yeah, absolutely. So he pulls the car over and he goes, get out of the car. So I get out of the car and he goes like this. He sits there like this. Right. And I'm looking at him. And I said, Homer. I said, let's stop this fucking around. Let's go back to the place where I said. I said, I know you're trying to throw me off. And he goes, I don't know how to fucking do it. I don't know how you do this. He goes, I'm an atheist and I don't believe you. And he goes, but it's not hard. I can't not believe you. You told me everything. He goes, nobody knew her phone pinged off that tower at Andrews Air Force Base. You did. He says, you had to been here to do it. Nobody knew. How the fuck could you know? And he's telling me like this. This is how we're talking. And we're outside the car. And she'll tell you that's how he is. And I am. And we're going back and forth. Yeah. So that's, the, you yeah. got to be able to get down to the nitty gritty and be able to do shit like that. And it's not, you know, I see a stream, I see a rock, I see a light, I see a tree. No, it's none of that. Cause the, you know, I sit in office with these cops and they laugh at us. They laugh at us. And mm -hmm. you know, when I walk on stage, I call it stage again. 
And this guy murdered his girlfriend. He shot her. He stabbed her. He had sex with her. He put her in a red sleeping bag and he buried her. And he's in a big bike gang. They found the list in the jail cell, folks. And they had his names of all the bikers he was going to, when he got out, he was going to bump off and kill. So they called me and they said, we know he's in, he's in Maryland. Can you run him up to Washington? So I'm a, I listen, look over to Homer. He goes, will you go? So I said, yeah, we'll, we'll go up there. So we went up, to, up there. And then 1991, this all happened. Sorry, 1986, this all happened. They've been digging since 1991. This is 2017. And it looked like the set of E.T. You had million-dollar homes. And it was all farmland back then. And I said to the young cop, I said, you got aerial photos? And he goes, yeah. And he runs over to the car and he comes back with the aerial photos. And, he, and I took one and I turned it about 30 degrees. I said, look at the topography of the land. I said, follow the creek. And I said, this is, what is the one-way road that comes in here? And John, the oldest guy, has been doing this for a long time. He goes, over here. And he goes, look, it, stop, stop. He goes, you tell me one thing that you're on my fucking site. He goes, you tell me one thing that you're on my site that I believe you. And I'll let you stay here and tell me this shit. And I said, all right. And Homer's looking at me. And I said, Homer, I go, he didn't ask me to come here. And he goes, just tell him. And I said, okay. I said, I see her buried. And she's buried under something round, like a tank. He reaches over and he goes, rip, rip. Took the badges off his uniform, hands them to my wife, and he hugs me. And he goes, brother. He goes, now look at the photo again. So he knew that was the one thing. Nobody knew that but them, that she was buried underneath a septic tank. So, um, yeah, that's how precise you have to be. Yeah. Or they, they laugh at us, right? So yeah. people will say, I'm psychic. I want to work with the police. I want to do this. I've got 30 years in this. I quit. You can take over. Do it. If you can do yeah. it, do it. Because I don't give a crap anymore. I'm done. I mean, I was going to retire, right? I was going to retire. And then Sorry. this past Christmas that passed, I get an email. Will you please speak with us? And I said, okay. And it was a big production company. And they said, just stay on a little longer. Will you, we'll give you this. We'll make it your show. You do whatever you want. And I thought, well, you know what? The only reason I'll do it is because it's only for the families. You have to remember, families first, criminals behind bars, and everything else I don't care about. That's what we got to do this for. And they agreed. So that's where we stand. No, no, uh, for sure. One question from Sue, a very important question. My question is, what do you do to stay well? Physically, I work out every day, about an hour, hour and a half every day in the gym. Um, my hour, an hour and a half in the gym is actually about two, two and a half hours for somebody else. I take very slow breaks. Um, I pump a lot of iron. Um, I don't stop. Um, I'm continually go, go, go. Um, and when I'm not on there helping people, I'm answering phone calls. I post a lot on Facebook because that's my play area. I play on Facebook a lot. I try to make people oh, laugh. I see you there. <laughs> yeah, I try to make people laugh at me because I just want them to laugh. I just want you know what I mean. Some people might take it wrong, but you know, it's just to laugh at me. Laugh at me because I'm, you know I want people to be happy because we're going through a pandemic and a lot of people are hurting right now. Um, so that's what I do. I work out. Me and Leisha work out. She's my team partner, and mm -hmm. that's what we do every day. Every day. That is amazing. It really is. And it's very, very hard. And, and as Michelle Selby Thomas says, you're the bomb, Robbie. No. That's, 
<laughs> no, it's not. No, no, it's not. Like I said in the beginning, no. it's not me. It's spirit. You know what I mean? If it were, you know what I said, what would Jesus do? Right? Honestly, mm-hmm. what would he do? I don't know how many times, there's like a confession coming on your show. I don't know how many times I said, fuck it. I quit. I can't take it anymore. Yeah, I'm done. I, yeah. I felt like baby and the baby's dead. You know, go back to that case in Washington, okay? It wasn't just two cases. It was three cases. Because when mm-hmm. they found the body where I said it was, mm-hmm. the, mom goes, the mom goes to me, oh, they found her. You you were right. They found her 100 feet from the road, wrapped in a red blanket, just like you said. But they have to do de- they have to do dental because she's been decomposed. So I said, okay, great. You know, and then two weeks later, I get the phone call. It wasn't her, Robbie. You found somebody else's murdered baby. So I found somebody else's murdered baby because her daughter was helping out with that. But I found a bag with the with the flip phones and the murder weapon for her daughter. And in that case, and then the case where the guy killed and and stabbed and shot his girlfriend over here, we found the place where we, where she was buried. So I mean, it was three cases in in one run. Um, well, yeah. So I mean, I worked with the CIA. I worked with the FBI. I worked with the um, CIA. Um, I said them. Um, NSA, NSA, what the fuck? They come on on scene with me. They don't talk to you. They don't, you know what I mean? The, we're talking about the NSA here, right? It was, it was weird. Um, the U.S. Marshals, um, I've worked practically with every major. Local police in force. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that's why I say I'm done, but I'm not done. Um, I know there's so many families mm-hmm. waiting. There's tons. There's tons of beautiful people waiting. Um, I, this is, and I wish we get over this pandemic. The only viable way I can be utilized in a proper fashion would be through a TV series because yeah, do I could do a case. They fly me to another case and it's not about the money. It's about hitting the vast amount of people that need, they write me and I got letters. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Otherwise I'm stuck here and a family can't afford 10, 20 grand to fly me down to place to stay for a week to yeah. do my thing. And, and that's how much, honestly to God folks, I've done it for years for free and I'm not plugging this. Okay. Gene, I'm not mm-hmm. <laughs> this, <laughs> this book. He laughed at me last time I did this, but this book I did out of my own pocket. And you, I tell you, you can almost a quarter of a million dollars. <laughs> 30 years on cases, my own money, right? So it's not cheap for the case. No. Carmela says, is there one particular case that was harder, that stayed with you or affected you in a harder way? Yeah. And I, you know, I wake up all the time in the middle of the night and I honestly do. And I've done it for years. And I, I, Elise, are you awake? Are you awake, Leash? And I say, you know, fucking, if I was just five minutes fucking faster, we could have saved Caesar because I knew I gave the murderer's name and I knew where he, right where he was. And we faxed all the stuff to the to the news teams in, in Louisville, Kentucky. Not only did we fax all the information to them and they put it on TV, but we gave it to the detective. And like I said, all the information's in the book. People could read stuff like that and go, holy shit. They gave all the information out, but you know, if I was, that's what I go through my mind and my heart mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. the children, um, Victoria yeah. staff, right? Two days yes. before I see her go missing. Why didn't I step up two days prior to, 
I don't get it. I, and then I started realizing after 30 fucking years of finding dead people and yet finding people alive and bringing them home and stopping things that should be bad actually did stop things. Um, you can't stop the inevitable. It's up to God. And that's the way it is. And sometimes it's just the way that person's life is supposed to go. And you were only instrumental in a certain aspect because we all have our own destinies. And I truly do believe that as much as you can help, you do. But then there comes a point, like you say, it's up to God at that point. You know, it is. It is. No. And V and E, one more question. And I know you um, you agreed to only an hour, and it's been an hour and a half. So we're very grateful that you you stayed an extra half hour. Um, but V and E has a question: What do you ensure you, do you don't do? burn out spiritually? I go to bed every night, and I pray, and just like everybody, and I pray for everybody. And I ask mm -hmm. Jesus, God, to give me the strength tomorrow to carry on what I did today as an example. Let me do what I can do that you've given me to do. Um, mm -hmm. And then all through the day, I pray. Like Leisure will see, sit there, and, and I'll sit there and go, why, God? You know, and, and then I speak openly all the time. Even when I'm mm -hmm. with cops, I speak openly. Um, some of them might think I'm crazy, but... Um, no, trust you know, us. We don't. <laughs> yeah, you know, and and that's what I do. Um, mm -hmm. My rock and pillar is my wife, and my anchor is God. Um, everybody else who encompasses me, from my spiritual team, and I speak to, is of me. So it's from them that I do this. Um, they assist you. In that yeah. sense. So, and every time I quit, <laughs> I know they must, they must get a kick out of me over there as you guys get a kick on, out of me on Facebook. Um, they, they must get a real good kick out of me. They say, oh, fuck it. I quit. I'm tired. You know, fuck it. I'm done. And then half an hour later, you know, I get a letter and then I go, shit, I'm going to help this person. You know, it's like. <laughs> yeah. Of course, Robbie. <laughs> this is it. This is the last one. <laughs> Yep, absolutely. You know, here's the thing. There was a guy who tailed me for almost 10 years and he wrote a he wrote a blog and he said, you know, he faked all this and he faked all that. You know, they went after John Edward, went after everybody else, right? And I thought, oh, the smartest thing to do is gather all my cases, sit back, and gather all the reports from all the officers who let me have the reports, gather all the emails, all the text messages, photographs. And everything else and stick it in this book and shove it in their faces and say, now prove me wrong because they're telling you it's all been done by me, right? Not by me, yeah. but I've done it. Yeah. And all of a sudden they just, they disappeared. You know, the chirping has stopped. Um, yeah. It's amazing yeah. because it never got to, the guy said to me one day, he goes, if he knows who it is, he would come and he would tell me, well, I called the fucker up. I did. He it blew him away. I called him up. I even actually went down and seen him in person. And he's just like, holy shit. Yeah. And I told him his business would go under 
And sure enough, his business went bankrupt and he left 200 people um, out of a job. But this is the funny thing you get when you're like this. And it's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. No, for sure. For sure. But anyways, that's my nutshell life of a hectic Rob. Um, You know, I'm just happy. You're very charming. And I love your sense of humor. I really do. And it was a real pleasure to have you on the show. You're a very down-to-earth person and not at all as I had thought you would have been, okay, considering your bio, okay. But we have, okay, we have a following on our show. And <laughs> as Jean Jerome says, every week, one of our one of our co-hosts, um, Beth has these two little kittens and they watch us every, every week. And so this is little Mojo. He's too new uh, to watch. Look at little Mojo. Looks like my little bunny. That's unbelievable. Yes, you have a little bunny. You have a couple of bunnies, don't you? You have a little beige bunny and a little black bunny. I know because I see them on your Facebook page. Yeah. So I want to say, I, I want to say thank you, Robbie, very much. And I want to say anybody who's interested in learning anything about upcoming shows or um, to actually get your book is to, can they make friends with you on Facebook? Yeah. You know, come make friends with me. Um, I torment people daily. So if you can put up. Yes, with you do. <laughs> I've actually helped you torment some. But you can also go to RobbieThomas.net and you can see okay. a lot of cases, a lot of things that have been there for 30 years, all the shows I've been on, yada, 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 and all that junk. But yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, come, come out and uh, let's have some fun. And thank you guys. Thank you yes, very much, no. Robbie. It's been a pleasure to have thank you on. You. Thank you. It was a pleasure. It really was a pleasure. So I want to say thank you once again to Robbie. I want to thank uh, Jean Jerome, my co-host, and everybody who had tuned in. And Donna has a comment. Great sense of humor. So down to earth, Robbie. Thank you. Absolutely, Donna. I really get a kick out of him on Facebook as my Facebook page friend. I'm always doing something or I'll help them kick someone's ass on some right. comment, political right. comment. <laughs> Robbie is really a lot of fun. He really is. He's a true person, um, down to earth. And thank you so much, Robbie. Thank no, you. And thank you for everything that you do. Like that Absolutely. is a real gift from God for sure. You Absolutely. Know. Absolutely. So thank you to everybody tuning in to uh, our show, Ancestral Eyes. I hope everyone enjoyed themselves. I'm sure they did. I'm probably, <laughs> you know what happens, Robbie, after the show, I get bombarded by comments from people going, oh my God, that was so awesome. <laughs> and they're going to be doing that exactly after the show with you too. You know, I've already got one line up there mm -hmm. <laughs> there's people pinging me right? Right, so, right. anyway so i want to say thank you robbie it was a pleasure and you know what i am so glad i followed your path the becoming aware of your indigenous background that was so fascinating it really was and i, I was glad to be a part of that you actually doing it on your facebook page and seeing this it was like Oh my God. And then the pictures of your ancestors. It was. Oh, right. 
I know. Oh, Lord. It was amazing. Really, really beautiful. No, it was such, it, you know, and that's when I said, now this is when spirit is going to have you come on our show. Cause I know I've asked you before and you, you couldn't cause you were busy, but you were gracious enough to go on our friend's show, Sean Gilmore into the abyss. And you know, after that you did it twice. And I said, Oh, and he hasn't come on my show yet, but now because of spirit bringing this, this is exactly the link here. Yeah. And so thank I you. thank your, your ancestors for doing what they did. So yeah. amazing. It is. So thank you to everybody who tuned in on episode 30th, uh, the 30th episode of Ancestral Eyes. And uh, anybody who's interested, I think we have the, um, yep. along the little ticky thing there, Psychic Robbie Thomas website, RobbieThomas.net. Um, you can make friends with him on Facebook. And uh, the pleasure has been all, uh, all ours. Thank you so much, Robbie. All right. Thanks, everybody, tuning in. I'll double. Have a good evening. Be safe out there. Have a good yes. day. All Go. right. Take care. God bless.